Colligan is Skyping with me today. We're looking to be back in the cafe at Artichoke Music in about a month, once I'm fully vaccinated. You may know George Colligan as a jazz pianist, a composer, a teacher, and valued member of several internationally known ensembles. On his new album, Long-Term Goals, with his band Theoretical Planets, he's a leader and a drummer. Most of the ensemble is made up of former PSU students of his, but they play like they've been together forever. That's all pretty unique in the world of music, and it takes a lot of talent to pull it off. And that's what George Colligan does. He's peripatetic, but he took some time to be with us. Long time no see, George. Yeah, how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm still alive. I'm still I'm still <laughs> yeah. I'm still here. I'm still working. That's about I'm still... How we can... Got all we the, can expect. Oregon Music News is still alive and kicking. Radio show is still kicking. And, and you have a new album out. I do. Yeah. Um, yes, my newest album is, uh, and, you know, I don't mean to be one of those people, but I think it's my 34th. Wow. I think. I, I'd have to go back and count. I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, who remembers, but. <laughs> you <laughs> well, you should, you, should, you should remember, you know. But well, listen. I have a general idea because there are a couple <laughs> records that arguably I was the leader, but like, for example, there's a record that we did for Chesky mm -hmm. where it was, it was me, Buster Williams, Lenny White, and Steve Wilson. Mm -hmm. And we did the music of Herbie Hancock and it was all my arrangements. Uh-huh. But you know, I mean, that's Buster's band. So it's... Gotcha. Gotcha. To say that I was the leader is yeah. a little bit. Well, before strange. we. So, bef I, so sometimes I see it. I'll, go ahead. Well, just before we get into into, into the new album, because I do want to talk to you about the new album, because it's, it's pretty it's pretty special. Yeah. Um, I know that you spent a lot of time with Ralph Peterson, and he just passed away. Can you? You know, a lot of people may not know who he was. Could you tell us tell tell us a little bit about Ralph? Sure. Well, I mean, it's very surreal to say that Ralph was because I mean, I'm still a little bit in shock, even though mm -hmm. I, I know he was ill for a long time, but he was, he was 58 and, um, well, and I was communicating with him. Yeah, it's way too young. And I, I was communicating with him a lot during the pandemic. And I knew that he had been struggling with cancer because the, the handful of times that I saw him in the past few years, including visits to Portland State, he did two master classes for us. Um, mm -hmm. He played with uh, with us at um, the 1905 in uh, 2019 for the mm -hmm. festival. It's kind of an extra gig. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and I also had a reunion of a band that included him, Gary Thomas. And Drew Gress, mm -hmm. we had a reunion in Connecticut in, uh, I think it was 2019, and and I'll I'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, and then I saw him at the Nam show. That's the last time I saw him mm -hmm. right before the pandemic. And you know he said that, um, you know he had this medical thing, and you know I think it was some something with his eyesight. <clears throat> you know the mm -hmm. chemo kind of bothering him, and yeah, he he looked really the same you know and and he played a little bit him and him and joey DeFrancesco did a little set mm -hmm. you know the convention floor that sounded incredible i mean 
I was like, it's Ralph Peterson, you know. So, and we've been in communication, you know, because he he's he was arranging a tune of mine for his big band, and so I didn't know that he was going downhill. Yeah, I really didn't yeah. know until um, maybe two weeks ago, because mm-hmm. I saw on on his Facebook that he'd been yeah. in the hospital, and so I, I reached out to him, and I said, um, I I saw you were in the hospital, you're feeling better, and he said, uh, well, I'm feeling better, but. You know, long story short, I, I'm, you know, it's probably I'm probably not going to get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I said, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. But so anyway, to to just back up a little bit. So Ralph Peterson was um, one of the great musicians in jazz. I mean, and I think underappreciated for a number of reasons, but. Um, you know, certainly in the 80s and 90s, he was the cat. He was sort of, in in some ways, he and Jeff Watts were mm-hmm. uh, sort of like how Kenny Kirkland and Mulgrew Miller were just sort of like the dominant forces. Like if you were looking for uh-huh. the the next generation that was playing, you know, straight ahead jazz, but with a twist, with a modern twist, mm-hmm. it was it was Tane and, and Ralph mm-hmm. and um. You know, Ralph uh, certainly as a band leader was quite prolific, and as a side person was really super in demand for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, he played on my first record, actually, as a matter of fact. Wow. Um, my my first record is called Activism on the Steeplechase yeah. label, and I was. Mm-hmm. And then he also he actually hooked me up with um, Crisscross. It was because of him. He spoke to Jerry Teakins at Crisscross and said he wish we should record. So. He's kind of always been there along the way, um, mm-hmm. and we we did play quite a lot together. And I, I always felt great about the hookup. I mean, you know, uh, I just felt like it was easy to play with him because I also listened to him outside of you know playing with him. So I felt like we always had a good connection, and we did things as you know we were side people in yeah. various bands together. Not not a lot in the past few years because I, I've been teaching and he's, he was at Berkeley is very much ensconced at Berkeley and really committed to teaching and, um, and, and an incredible teacher because he, he knows everything. I mean, he's, he was a genius. Mm-hmm. He really, you, you ask him, you, if you watch him teach, it's, it's, it's kind of astounding because he, and he, and he, it's, it seemed harsh, because he's he's you know he's east coast he's and he's yeah. straight up with it he's like you're yeah. not swinging you turn <laughs> the time around you missed a and and but he does it out of love he does it out mm-hmm. of care for the music and um you know it's it's just because he takes it seriously so mm-hmm. um he was an inspiration and and you know he's one of those people that you know when it, people of my generation and people who came up you know in the 90s or whatever when you say ralph yeah. You know, we talk about drummers and you just say Ralph. It's like you say Jeff Watts, you say Tane. Yeah. yeah. Tane and Ralph. And people are like, yeah, Ralph. He's one of those one name people. You don't have to say his last name because everybody knows who you're talking about, you know. And um, yeah, I, I, it's, I, I'm still kind of in shock. And I, I really regret that um, that we didn't, weren't able to do more yeah. before he passed because, uh, you know, now. Right. It's ironic that that uh, he should pass away on the, the same week that you have an a, 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 an album that, 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 where you're the drummer. 
Yeah, well, does any any of his any of his um, drumming rub off on you and from uh, influence this album? Absolutely. In fact, uh, the last time that we played, no, uh, well, the last time when we did this reunion show in um, in Connecticut at the side door, you know, I'd been checking out some of his um, signature symbols. Uh-huh. Line and he had he had a series um, with Minel that called and one one was called the Symmetry Symmetry Ride Ralph Peterson signature. He also has a Nuance Ride. I've been checking out the Symmetry Ride. And I was kind of like, I bet he has one laying around. <laughs> I said, Hey, you know, could uh, could I get one of these symbols? And of course he he said, Oh yeah, sure, I'll bring it to the gig. And he signed it. Wow. And uh, it's already a signature, so so it's a it's a double signature, uh, and and he played it on the gig. He was like, yeah, so you could check it out, you know, and um, so the first tune on the record, and there's some other tunes too where I play that symbol. Wow, uh, of course it was recorded a year ago, but um, jeez, yeah. So, but but aside from just the from that of course yeah i mean i i i mean I, the problem is i'm i'm nowhere near as technically proficient as he was but certainly his you know because he i think he's part of the the lineage you know it's like you look at elvin tony mm-hmm. and he's definitely coming out of that really interactive way of playing mm-hmm. um and you know but but i mean of course you know a lot of people say well he's definitely influenced by blakey and that's true but it's yeah. like kind of a little bit of everything you know a little bit of dejanet a little bit of roy haynes a little bit of i mean he he could sit down and imitate anybody i huh. mean he knew he knew everything there was it's hard to really get anything by him huh. in terms of knowing the music but uh-huh. so that so that type of interactive playing of course yeah i mean yeah i, I mean you know, I place things that just come directly from. I mean, I could point to them on the record. I could say that's oh. Ralph, that's oh. Ralph, that's Ralph. Huh. Yeah, but huh. but most drummers my age are like that anyway. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like Ari Honig studied with Ralph. Uh-huh. You know, uh, uh-huh. E.J. Strickland studied with Ralph. I mean, you know, there's a whole. He's left behind a whole lineage and a, and a legacy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you could, you could look at any any of the younger drummers and say i mean and all his berkeley students mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so so yeah he he was really important and um i i um did you, really... did, did you tell me that you started on the drums uh well actually i played drums before i got serious about piano uh-huh. i was a trumpet player I started to mess with drums. I got into piano mostly just to learn composition. I got my degree in trumpet, but I played drums all along. And, you know, I obviously got serious about piano, but I've always kind of kept the drumming. And I've always been really fascinated by drums and drumming. And my ears always sort of gravitated towards mm-hmm. the drums and, and rhythm in particular. So I don't I don't so much consider it as uh, – <clears throat> in fact, in another interview – Somebody asked me if, if this was a, a vanity project, and I said, well, <laughs> everything is a vanity project. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, what a question. <laughs> yeah. No, he, you know, he, he meant it in a good way. But I mean, I, but the thing is, it's, it isn't – me playing drums isn't really a novelty. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of well, – Not anymore. Of course not. 
No, I mean, but also I've had the fortune of playing with a huge amount of the great living drummers. I mean, um, you know, from Lenny White to Ralph Peterson to Jack DeJohnette. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, Phil Stewart. uh, I I played with Tane a few times. I mean, yeah, I played with Jimmy Cobb. I played with Billy Higgins, um, you know, Cindy Blackman, Terry Mm -hmm. Lynn Carrington. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I've I've sort of absorbed – yeah. If not necessarily specific things, at the very least, the concepts, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. I that I've tried to pay attention to. So, so this album is called Long Term Goals. What's that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I originally wrote this uh, as a two-handed piano exercise, really? and the idea was that in order to play both melodies in both hands, it might take a minute. <laughs> Oftentimes, <laughs> you know, we have to think in terms of long-term goals. You know, when you look at things from an educational standpoint, not just for students, but for yourself, yeah. you say, okay, here's something that I can, you know, it's like going for a walk is a short-term goal. At least it used to be. <laughs> well, not anymore. <laughs> you know? But if you want to run a marathon, you got to think ahead a little bit and be patient and, yeah. and, and embrace the process. So that's that's kind of what I was thinking about with this particular tune. But it, it of course expanded into something beyond my wildest expectations. So huh. when you first were thinking about it, uh, what, what was were you thinking about it uh, with a lot of free playing? No, uh, I well. How, how did that harmonic, evolve? Harmonic, well. Free, maybe free in a different way because I sort of conceived it as more like not so much like if we want to talk about the 80s again, you know, the, the some of the M bass music was really influential on me, you know, Steve Coleman and Greg Osby and, yeah. and I yeah. listen to that stuff a lot. And so that's sort of, you know, they have a lot of different ways of thinking about improvisation and as opposed to thinking about chord changes and mm-hmm. then baseline um this this is more almost like an ostinato mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it isn't so much about oh you have to play these changes it's more about playing off the baseline and playing off the rhythm and then mm-hmm. beyond that it is more free but yeah. the baseline yeah. can, can create the structure but then when we started playing it with this band theoretical planets it sort of it went in a bunch of different directions and um it yeah like i said it was on it, its I, own yeah, yeah, sort of organically, it just kind of went there, That's which nice. is, you know, and and um, I, this is one reason why I really like playing with this band is because the people that I've gotten to play with me are very open-minded as well, and so. Because you taught them to be. It's it's. Oh <laughs> uh, well, two of the current members are former students. Yeah, yeah, and and, it, and the expansion of the group is also former students um i i would say just i would hope that my um mentoring has had a good effect i'd like to think that some of these people who came to me they kind of already could do a lot but i feel like i sort of pointed them in the right direction and and helped to kind of make them think a little bit outside Mm -hmm. the box Mm -hmm. you know this would be an example you know of that well let's talk about the band then tell us about uh who's in it okay well, originally, um, the very first inception of this band was, you know, myself on drums, John Lakey on bass, 
Nicole Glover on tenor saxophone, mm-hmm. and then uh, a young saxophonist named Aaron Reese, who um, is from Sherwood, uh-huh. and uh, he he ended up going to USC. <clears throat> so then I started hiring Joe Manis, and I originally hired Joe to play alto because um, originally a- uh, Aaron had played alto, and. Joe, I mean, most people know Joe as a tenor player, but he's yeah. actually a fantastic alto player and plays baritone and mm-hmm. plays everything. He's just great. But but so Nicole was playing uh, tenor, Nicole Glover. Yeah. And uh, and and Joe was playing alto. And then sometimes they would we would have two tenors. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Nicole was, you know, very promising, but somewhat inexperienced. Which one? Uh <laughs> Nicole Nicole Glover. Glover. I interviewed her one time when she had gone to New York and then come back. Yeah. Now, that, that was before, I think before she started studying with you. And she's mm. just she's just come so far. It's amazing. Oh yeah, she's she's going like gangbusters. It's amazing. Yeah. But so anyway, but I always knew that she was promising, but I felt as though you know, she kind of needs to think about things a little bit differently and um she was, she was sort of like, she was sort of like mystified. She was like, why, why are you putting me in this band? Like, you know, next to Joe <laughs> Manis, who has this very, very experienced, has a tremendous sound. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, look, you know, I, it would be silly to have two horn players in the band that play exactly the same. And sure. you could definitely get that with two tenor players. I mean, that, you know, tenor madness, it's, yeah. it's tenor insanity, really. Yeah. You know, because the te- the whole tenor thing is such a, you know, it, it, so much competition and and you know one upsmanship. But Nicole, it, you know, she she is definitely can can play very aggressively, mm-hmm. but she's very musical too. So I really liked the contrast between Joe and Nicole Glover. I thought it was like, oh, this is this is great. It could just get you can go each soloist goes a different place. It's not just the same thing all the time. So, so I was really happy with that. And I think that helped her to really flourish and find her own, her own way, you know, and feel, and Mm -hmm. feel confident about what she was doing. And of course she's, she's like a whole different player now. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane what she's doing. So, and then when she left town, I was like, well, I still want to keep this going. So then, uh, you know, Nicole McCabe came along and mm-hmm. um, she also w- showed a lot of promise from the beginning. Like, I mean, from her freshman year at Portland State, she was arguably our best soloist in the whole program. Wow. And uh, so it must be such a pleasure to find out to find to, to have a student walk in the door like that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I, I really you know, everybody kind of starts at a different place mm-hmm. and everybody kind of at a different level. You ne- you never know. Some people come in and they're super talented and maybe for whatever reason they just lose interest. And some people come in and maybe don't show a lot of talent, but they work really hard. Mm-hmm. But then when you get the rare combination of somebody who already shows a lot of promise and has a good work ethic and is open-minded, you know, you want to cultivate students like that. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know... Uh, it is a, it is a competitive field. Do you recruit? Um, I try to recruit. <laughs> well, yeah, you know why not? You know. Well, exactly. I it, it's it's hard because 
I could understand why people would not want to pursue a career in jazz. It's it is <laughs> not like getting an MBA or going to real right. estate. You know, that's right. at least like okay, I could make a living. You know, that's the problem is if you want to make a living in jazz, that's different from becoming great at jazz. They're two distinct mm -hmm. things, and mm -hmm. some people are good at doing both. Yeah. So it, it that I I think that you do music because you have to, mm -hmm. because you, you can't mm -hmm. do anything else. Yep. You don't want to do anything else. It's almost more of an obsession. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying. So the thing is, you know, just having, you know, massive quantities of jazz students, I, I don't think that necessarily makes for a good program. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. like, let's, let's just have a 200 jazz majors, you know, it's <laughs> sort of unrealistic. I mean, um, so I, I have tried to look for the really the great students. Um, we we've really I I think that the level of the Portland State program has really gone up since I've been there. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, you know we we've raised the bar in a number of ways, um, and having the vocal program has really helped. And and uh, my colleague Sherry Alves has really um, has has brought a whole new layer of things in there mm -hmm. but but i would say that you know one of the problems we have is that uh the kids who live around here the best kids from oregon and from portland they they want to go somewhere else they want to they want to they want to get away from their parents yeah yeah so <laughs> um so we have had some i would say with the with some exceptions our best students have come from out of state Really? Uh, Nicole McKay from wow. California. Um, we uh, Noah Simpson is from Arizona. Micah Hummel mm -hmm. is from Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, uh, who else? Uh, Jimmy Harad uh, was from Tacoma. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I mean, and and there's there's a few more in there. We, we we're starting to have more from the area who are really good, but. Uh, it, it, it's been it's been tough. The other thing too is that um, I think that the culture here is a little bit more like big band oriented, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. being in a big band is is really fun, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you understand the jazz language. Right, right. So that I think that can be sort of confusing for students because they may have played in their their jazz band for four years, but it doesn't mean that they're ready to be a jazz major or that right. they even know what that is. It, yeah. Being a jazz major is not like, Oh, I'm just going to be in big band. Cause anybody can be in big band whenever they want, mm -hmm. so, you know, just join a big band. But, um, but actually saying, Oh, I understand the legacy of, you know, I, I understand the jazz history from Louis Armstrong to, you know, to, uh, yeah. J.I. or whatever, or, or mm -hmm. uh, you know, Orrin Evans, that you know, what I mean, that sort yeah, of thing. You yeah. can, you, you have perspective, and and you know how to improvise, and you have a repertoire, and you're creative, and you you think you can think outside the box, and that sort of thing. So that's that's a different thing. So, um, what were you I, like at that age? Really trying to recruit. What were you but, like at that age? Say what? What were you like at that age? In high school? Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, you know, it was only five years ago. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, uh, so when I was in high school, that was 1983 to 1987. Uh -huh. And um, 
I kind of got the music bug in middle school. I had a band director named Lee Stevens who was uh-huh. really inspiring. And um, he really got me not just into practicing but into listening to music. So mm-hmm. in high school, I was doing a lot of listening and uh, I was trying to get my trumpet playing together. Huh. Um, I was also in sort of messing around with piano as a composer. Mm-hmm. Like I was really – Inspired by the idea of Beethoven and and um, uh-huh. and Stravinsky, uh-huh. and I thought oh, I'd love to be a composer like Stravinsky or or Debussy or something. And um, you know, I was listening to a lot of jazz and I was listening to some classical and and just trying to you know the, the listening experience was different because it was limited to either your your record collection, right which you had to buy or sign out of the library, or if you wanted to be slick and, and record some albums on cassette so that yes. you could, so, you know, that type of thing, which wasn't super kosher, but, or, uh, or tape stuff all the ra- off the radio. So, mm-hmm. you know, you had the radio cassettes, and then of course CDs were starting to become the thing. Um, but you kind of, you, you, you cherished your music collection a little bit more. So you oh, listen sure. to things over and over rather than like, oh, mm-hmm. let me listen to this for five seconds. Let mm-hmm. me listen to this for five seconds. Right. So so I was doing a lot of really concentrated listening and with very little guidance because there weren't there wasn't really anybody in Columbia, Maryland who, you know, knew a whole lot about jazz. Well, you're right about uh, that. You know what I'm saying? I'm so, from Baltimore. Uh, I know that. <laughs> right. So, I mean, what? Once I went to Peabody, yeah. when I finally attended Peabody and was in Baltimore, then I, then I started to make the rounds. Um, a good friend of mine named Alex Norris, who went to um, – like I went to Centennial High School. He went to Hammond High School. And he was probably – him and just a handful of other people knew anything about jazz. And we were both at Peabody together. Mm-hmm. And he took me under his wing, and he, he would bring me around to the clubs like um, – you know, uh, sportsmen's yeah. and uh, and the closet right before it closed. And um, I used to see Gary Bartz at the closet. Yeah, I only made it there once. Yeah, it was literally like right before they closed. But didn't we live I, in? Didn't didn't we live in the same building at different times? Possibly the Severn. Were you on? Say what? The Severn. Right well, the, I was on, I was on Reed Street. I thought because they were at the corner of of Monument and uh, and Cathedral. I thought you lived in that building. Maybe it was somebody else. Oh well. <laughs> it's the base same same area. Yeah. Um. But so. Um, so you did. You knew the Belvedere. What? Were you kind of near the Belvedere Hotel? Well, a few blocks away. So okay, yeah, you you, know, you never played for dances or anything. For who? Dances. Ah, uh, well, I see. I played with the Roomba Club. You did? I did, yeah. I love that band. Funny... That was a great yeah. band. And, and you know, I, I don't give Josh Schwartzman enough credit because Josh was one of the first people to show me some stuff on piano. It was like him, Tim Murphy, and Alex, uh, uh, you know, but the way I ended up in the band, I actually started in the band playing timbales. <laughs> I played timbales and a little bit of drum set. Um, the 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 drum chair in the band was uh, Jim Hanna, and his brother Paul Hanna uh-huh. was playing saxophone. And so at first, I remember seeing the band a lot because Tim Murphy was playing in it. And I, I loved. I was just. I mean, Tim was my idol. 
Tim, Tim and Bob Buddha were my my idols. Bob Buddha, yeah, Bob Buddha. Yeah, a few other cats. You know, Charles Covington was in there sure, for sure. Sure. But um, you know, going to see Tim, like I I wanted to sound exactly like Tim. Uh-huh. Tim was like the best piano player I'd ever heard, and then Bob <laughs> was definitely in there for sure. Uh-huh. But but Tim played with the Roomba Club, and I remember going to just check him out. And, uh, you know, I was standing, this was at, um, uh, what was the name of that club? Chambers. Oh yeah. On Chambers street. Uh-huh. And so, um, I, I went in, I went in and, and they knew that I was a musician. So they handed me some claves <laughs> and they said, go like this. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I started doing that. But then after a while, I forgot what the clave was. And I just started going like, tick, 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 like just kind of <laughs> like beating around with it. And, and then I, I looked and the whole band was just staring at me. <laughs> like, what are you doing? They came and just snatched the Craig Considine, the trombone player. He just like snatched the claves away from me. <laughs> Yeah. So, That's but then funny. eventually they needed somebody to play timbales, and they just couldn't find anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, "Look, we just join the band. We'll teach you what you need to know. You gotta, you know, know how to play. Got, 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 got. You know how to how to play on the side of the drum, and that's basically it." <laughs> so I joined the band playing timbales, and then eventually I started playing piano because Tim, Tim Murphy, he just kept having to sub it out. He just couldn't make it, so. I started playing piano with them a lot, and that it was fun. It was fun because I wasn't really very good, but I could go, you know, go gang, go go gang, go go gang, go gang. I could play Montunos. You don't, you know, once you figure it out, you're cool. You don't need a ton of chops to do that. That band was so much fun. Yeah, well, they started really as a bunch of jazz guys. Yeah. Who were kind of trying to? They sort of more dabbled in latin music you know uh, they kind yeah, of play yeah you know maybe a little kind of a salsa tune and then they would do something more jazzy and then you know eventually andy gonzalez uh started producing them and then they added some you know some congeros who were a little bit more up on the real the real folkloric stuff and more more into the real new yorican kind of thing and mm-hmm. and then they became really kind of like hardcore salsa like yeah. see, really serious about it. salsa latin yeah. jazz yeah and and really they've started to become really like traditional like you need to understand these rhythms and, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so um but and by that time i was starting to like think about moving to new york or whatever but um yeah. Yeah. but yeah and i don't i wonder if they're still doing stuff i wouldn't be surprised i don't know, I don't know if, they, if they are under that name but i'm sure those guys are still playing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, um, you, I know you, you had a, uh, uh, a live streaming the other night. Um, yeah. Uh, for, uh, is that is that still up and available? Uh, it is up. Um, if you go to my Facebook page. Okay. Well, link, I'll, I'll link it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was basically our CD release live stream slash live recording, wow. which we might put it out after we mix it and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, since the pandemic, it's just been hard to do anything. But yes. the thing about Randy Porter's studio mm-hmm. is that he had separate booths. So we felt that it was much, a much oh. safer environment to do that. So and, you were um, in the same place. 
We were all in the same place. Wow, yes. lucky you. And he had the, video, the video hooked up, but everybody's distanced. And, you know, people who needed to wear masks wore masks. And, yeah. You know, Randy's pretty strict, so. Um, but it came out great. I mean, the thing about Randy as an engineer, I mean, of course, everybody knows Randy's a great pianist. But as an engineer, th- there's a certain level because he's got great ears. So, I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm happy with the sound on the video. I, I mean, you could probably just put that out. But, but I, you know, of course, I'd like to go in and say maybe mix it a master a little bit. But, um, but yeah, it's it's you know, it's great working with somebody who's really highly musical and understands mm-hmm. what we're doing. And mm-hmm. and so that um, it that was a you know, to celebrate the release of the new album on the PJCE label. Uh, but also I incorporated, uh, again, some other, you know, Noah Simpson, mm-hmm. who's a former student, and a current student whose name is Anna Meyer. She's a really wonderful vocalist um, who was going to Mount Hood Community College, and then she uh, decided to finish her degree at Portland State. And I don't think she really sang much jazz before she was at Mount Hood, but she's she's got perfect pitch and she's you know really works hard and um, I've been really impressed with her and and again we we did we did all new music with mm-hmm. no rehearsal really so wow. yeah she she just kind of works on it on her own and she she's <laughs> like you know because I have I had her doing uh, a a track with lyrics. Mm-hmm. But then I also had her sing on some of the instrumental stuff, and it's it's actually nice to have that vocal color, yeah, along with a, as an instrument, like sure. wordless. Sure. So huh. I'm kind of thinking in the future of trying to find places to do a more expanded version of Theoretical Planets with tr- you know adding trumpet and vo- vocals because it's just it's a cool sound. You know. How, how do you, you think- got right? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. How, how do you decide? What instrument you want to you want to play from day to day? Me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of just wander around the house and whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> instrument I'm near, I might pick out a few things. You know, I, I'm working on my bass playing. I mean, um, uh-huh. that's really hard. But um, I don't know if you know Bob Mover, but Bob Mover um, is he's starting a school. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to make some backing tracks, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm playing drums, piano, and bass mm. on all the tracks. It's, right now, it's it's at least fifty tracks. Wow, amazing! Because it's for his school, so it's all these like backing tracks, you know, like you know for standards and mm-hmm. Coltrane tunes and things okay. like that. And and okay. it's been a challenge, but it's been it's been a learning experience um, mm-hmm. to especially with the bass uh, to try to get that to an acceptable level. And I certainly, I certainly, um, I should probably apologize to all the bass players that I've ever played with because <laughs> I feel like I used to be really hard on bass players. I was like, man, you can't play that in tune. And now I'm like, how do you ever play in tune? <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> it cannot be done. You know, you're talking about acoustic bass. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, the trick is you have to be a ventriloquist, like Captain. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I tried to get him to come on here, and and and, and with with his ventriloquist dummy, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, you mean um, Captain? Uh, 
Dave Captain. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I saw I saw one of those videos that he posted. <laughs> You'd ne- you if if you looked at Dave Captain and said that he does ventriloquism, I'd never. Oh no. Would, Never not, believe that. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Well, listen, George. Congratulations on the album, and and I appreciate you giving us this time. Uh, it's Thanks, always, no problem. Always nice to talk with you. Uh, all right, well. And um, you know, and, and like I always say at the end of these things, that's entertainment. <laughs> Thank you.